Hey, this is Caesar, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org slash youngadults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. This is the word of the Lord. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, guys. Well, it's, you get me again, so yeah. (laughs) I'm just, I'm just here because I miss you guys, and I love being with you all and talking about all the good stuff. Um, So tonight... Uh, we'll be finishing our mini-series called Back to Basics. And uh, the original intention of that mini-series was to equip our college students who would be going um, either to college for the first time, going to a college campus, whether local or going out, uh, out of state and going, or just even outside of Orlando and, and living on campus or living near campus. But as Caleb and I were working on our series, on the series, uh, we came to understand that these message, while yes, originally intended for our college students, are messages that our entire community uh, need to hear. Because the reality is, the landscape of our college campuses are not that different than what we, than what we experience in our day-to-day lives post-college. Because whether you're a college student or a young professional, you are in this life stage called young adulthood, right? And the the central theme, if you haven't picked up on it at this point, of, of your 20s is cementing your beliefs. Because there's really no other times like your 20s where you will be bombarded with information and worldviews, whether it's in your classroom or in your living room via your TV or smartphone. I would even argue that there is uh, no generation like Gen Gen Z or even the later millennials uh, because y'all don't know the world before smartphones. Like how many of us in the room know what AIM is? Okay, the couple, not, okay, so, oh, there's a lot of older believers, but for the rest of y'all know, I need you to know, AIM is like what texting is, but you had to depend on nobody in the house using the phone. Like, like you, it, it was, dial-up was the worst, all right? There's no broadband, there's no 5G, 4G. This is like pre-G, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is, this is real bad. And, and, and at the heart of, uh, of this time frame for us, for young, during this Gen Z era, is that the, the heart of advertisements and social media and news outlets is the desire to, to convince you that their certain viewpoint is the only one that's correct. So in other words, what they want for you is to buy into whatever they deem is true and act accordingly to whatever that truth may be. So with that in mind, last week, uh, Caleb, as I mentioned before, taught the first part of this series called How to Share Your Faith. 
but it wasn't like a treatise on like how to evangelize, like here are all the apologetics things you do and or here are the five best ways to convince your friends to not go to hell and go to heaven instead. Like it, it wasn't that. It was actually much more beautiful than that. It was a reminder that God's love for his people is what fuels our sharing our faith with those around us. But tonight we will shift this focus from sharing our faith to growing our faith. How to grow your faith. And sharing and growing our faith are really two sides of the same coin. Because in order to share our faith, we must have a faith of our own. Right? That seems pretty simple, right? Like in order to share something, you got to believe something. That's really what it is. And the healthier the state of your faith is, the more empowered you become as disciples of Jesus to make more disciples of Jesus. So 2020, what we're all doing we're all quarantining in our homes, right? So some of us watched a lot of YouTube videos. Some of us were dealing with health stuff. Some were, uh, you know, maybe learning a new trick and learning a new whatever. You might be reading all the books you never could read. And um, so I took the opportunity in, in, during quarantine to take on the art of gardening. That's right. This Brooklyn boy decided to learn how to garden. And by gardening, what I mean is that I went to Home Depot, bought a small pot, got some soil, and got a succulent, all right? Like, that's, that's what I mean by gardening, right? And you laugh, but the thing is, like, I, I grew up in Brooklyn. It's like the concrete jungle. Like, this, this is gardening for me, okay? Like, like, that's it. Like, actually, I lived across the street from a cemetery with a lot of trees and greenery. So, like, this really is about the, the most beautiful thing that I can imagine is having a succulent in my room. And so, if you don't know this, um, from a beginner uh, gardener to you, um, succulents are rather resilient plants, okay, which is a good thing because I had zero idea what I was doing. And so I had it in my room and I figured, okay, I'm going to put it where there's a lot of natural light on it. And they told me not to water it too much. So I said, okay, I won't water it too much. So I did that. And then I realized that like the little, the little tiny baby, little succulent leaves were like dying. I was like, oh no, I'm doing something wrong. So I, I figured maybe I needed to water them some more. So I, I, I watered it some more and it still wasn't helping. So I was like, okay, it can't be the water. The soil is fine. It has to be the sun. So I don't know why I thought this, but I thought it was like the middle of July. I took it and I put it outside in direct sunlight. Needless to say, my succulent, it was fried, right? That sucker was fried, okay? So... It was dying and I grew very frustrated because I'm like, it isn't the sunlight, it isn't the water, then what could it possibly be? And I just, it became my mom's plant after a while. And, and so I let it just kind of be her problem. And, and I believe this is kind of what many of our stories are like when it comes to our faith in Christ. Because just like I was absolutely confused and, and not sure about how to grow this succulent, we don't understand what faith is to begin with. And therefore, if we don't know what faith is, we don't really know how to interact with it. And, and the ways that we do interact with it are, are probably pretty unhealthy because you're just kind of guessing. And then we place our faith in the wrong hands and, and then we surround it in environments that are dark. And then we wonder why it seems so easy to not believe in Jesus. So my desire tonight for us is to, to provide some guidance and direction in developing a strong faith despite living in a society that seeks to destroy it. But again, don't worry. Despite the title of this message, this will not be the top three ways to a better faith. Because actually, I think that line of thinking is part of the problem of why we struggle with our faith. Because we then treat our faith in Christ like a to-do list, right? Like Wednesday, 
I'm gonna read the whole New, New Testament. Anybody? <laughs> Overachievers? No? Okay, fine. It's me. Uh, Thursday, I'll fast for 23 hours because you know you gotta sleep at least one, right? Uh, Friday, you gotta evangelize to every single one of your coworkers because they, they won't hear about the gospel on Saturday and Sunday. So you gotta make sure they have enough Jesus to last until Monday, right? Like we treat it as this weird like thing, this, this magic to-do list, and that's our faith. But then this makes the Christian life anything but what it was meant to be. It makes it feel monotonous, cold, and extremely taxing, which shouldn't be a surprise to us because a to-do list, faith makes Jesus become less of a person to know and more of a person to feel like we have to satisfy and please. But instead, I'd like for us to consider that Jesus demonstrates that a life of faith is marked by trust and obedience because the key to the growing of our faith is centralized on the work of Jesus for and in through us. So when you hear, okay, how do I grow my faith? You might be thinking, all right, or, or how to grow really anything, fill in the blank. You might be tempted to just jump to the practicals. All right, Caesar, just tell me the things I need to do. Like what, like what things do I need to start listening to? What books do I need to read? What podcasts should I be listening to? But before you consider growing anything, we first need to know what we're growing, right? Faith is a word that all people use. You, you don't have to be a Christian to, use, to have the word faith in your vocabulary, in your vernacular. Because even when they don't use the word exclusively, we kind of allude to this life of faith, right? Like, like don't worry, it'll all work out. You just gotta trust the process. Don't worry, it'll be fine. You just have to have a little bit of faith and believe and it will all work out. That still doesn't really help us understand the question, what is faith? Well, let's turn to Hebrews 11. So Hebrews, so we'll be in a, a couple of sections of scripture tonight and the first one will be in Hebrews 11. And Hebrews 11 often is coined the hall of faith or the heroes of faith or the hall of fame for faith. And in it, you're gonna find uh, really well-known biblical figures like Adam, uh, uh, sorry, not Adam, <laughs> he did not. Uh, Moses, Abraham, Sarah, Noah, just to name a few. And so naturally, I feel like if we're trying to learn what it means to have a, well, to know what faith is, we probably should go to the heroes of the faith. So this is what verse one of chapter 11 says. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. We'll stop there. Uh, if this is confusing for any of you, welcome to the club. Like even when I was like studying for this, I was like, this feels like something like Yoda says, you know, like it, you kind of know what he's saying, but he's like, I don't, don't, it's backwards? Is it backwards? No. Is it, so I'm, I'm gonna hopefully break this down for us and then we'll walk through it together. But the author of Hebrews in this verse is presenting both the definition of what faith is but also provides us an understanding of what faith does. And we know this because if you actually read the chapter before, which we won't be doing that because we're not going through this, but um, verses uh, 19 through 39 of chapter 10, right before this, is all about what a life of faith looks like when you shy away from living a life of faith. But in contrast, the verse after, so uh, chapter 11, verses four through 40, the rest of it shows us the heroes of faith and the, how, they, how their lives are good because they've lived in accordance with the life of faith. But again, that still doesn't really answer our question, does it? What is faith? Because I'm sure verse one is kind of saying it, but I kind of don't understand it. So let's break it down. 
Faith is the assurance. Okay, so what it's saying here is there is something about faith that secures us the things that we've hoped for. So in context, if you read all of Hebrews, you'll know that the author of Hebrews is referring to when, he said, when they say the promises of God, I mean, sorry, the, the things hoped for means the promises of God, namely salvation through Christ. So what they're saying here is faith is the assurance of things hoped for, uh, which is a belief in God that secures us the promises of God. That's what that's saying. But then they say, continuing, the conviction of things not seen. Anyone heard the phrase, seeing is believing? Yes? Yes? yes. Yeah, okay, thank you. I'm, listen, this is the kind of preacher I am. Like, I need some kind of feedback. I need to know you're awake. I get it. So, so seeing is believing, but faith is believing without seeing. Okay, so in summary, this is what this verse is saying to us about what faith is. Faith is the person's belief in God that secures us the promises of God and is the vehicle that allows us to trust that God's promises will be fulfilled in our lives even when we do not see how it could possibly be accomplished. Cool, everyone on the same page? Awesome, we got it. So really, what's faith? It's just believing in God, right? That just seems easy, right? Because like, that's all you gotta do. All, if you wanna grow your faith, you just have to believe in God some more, right? Yeah. No. No, thank you. Appreciate it. I knew you were going to do that. But let's just say for argument's sake that it was true. We've got a really major problem here. Because the problem is that the words that the author of Hebrews uses in the Greek conveys a certain type of faith. It is not just any kind of faith. It is not a small amount. It is not a little bit amount. Really, the Greek word for faith here is pistis. Say that with me, pistis. Yeah, exactly. Spit it out on your neighbor. Piss this. <laughs> and it's used 243 times through all of Scripture and through all of New Testament. And when it's used, it is often meant to convey having a belief with complete trust. So when it says faith, it means that you have a belief in God with complete trust. How many of y'all got that faith? Anybody? Like without a shadow of a doubt, you believe everything that God says to be 100% true at all times, at all times. It gets even more than that. Because man, the, listen, whoever the author of Hebrews is, we don't really know, but they meant business. Because right after it says the assurance of things hoped for, the word for assurance is the word hypostasis. It's used both to describe the relationship between Christ, the Son, and God, the Father, which if you don't know, there is no greater bond, no stronger bond to ever exist than between the Godhead. But hypostasis also paints a picture of someone going to the courts with a legal document saying, I've come for whatever is on this document and you have to give it to me. So when you put this phrase together, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions not seen. What it's saying is that in order to have access to the Father and to access to the promise of God, you would have to literally be so confident in your faith that you could go to Jesus, look at him face to face and say, Jesus, my belief in you is complete without any doubts, any worries, any fears. It is so strong that it could be compared to the bond between the Son and the Father. Listen, Jesus, I need you to get it together. I've got the documents here. You can't tell me no. Y'all got that kind of faith? 
Y'all got it? Because I don't. Like I'm the kind of guy that sometimes I sit in traffic and sometimes I just start thinking and I'm like, man, if I make it to the end of this life and God, you're not real, I'm gonna be real ticked. <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's legit my kind of faith sometimes. My faith is not 100%. I can't trust myself to secure the promises of God 100% of the time because my faith in God isn't 100%, 100% of the time. So if we leave it here, well, this would be the worst message ever, now wouldn't it? So instead, I'm gonna turn us to the words of Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through 10. You don't have to go there if you want, you can, but if not, I'll read it for us. This is what the word of the Lord says here. Verse eight, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. No, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the apostle Paul is now unpacking more of what faith actually is. See, Paul is writing to the Ephesians to remind them of the beauty of God's grace towards sinners. That God's grace should lead them to live a life worthy of, of the salvation that has been given unto them, not by their works, but by the goodness and grace and mercy of God and God alone. So instantly, as you read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, we see that faith is more than just what Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us. Here, faith primarily is a gift from God. You see, we, when we're asking the question, uh, how do I grow my faith? We're actually asking the wrong question because you're not even the one who plants it. You're not even the one who starts it. It says God is the one who plants faith in your hearts as a gift unto you. And then he says it is done through his grace. And in context, it's not grace like it's a nicety. It's not like, oh, I think I'll do something nice for you today. Here's some faith. Here's some salvation with a little bit of, no. no. It is his power that secures your salvation in him as a gift unto you. So God does this planting in your heart of faith in your heart by his power. And this work in power is what acquires your salvation through faith. This is good news. This is good news, y'all. Listen, if, if you're a non-believer here, or if you're someone who have yet to place their faith in Jesus and you're sitting here and you're like, well, you know what, why bother? Because you just told me I'll never have the faith that I need to secure the promises of God and have salvation in him. But you're here because God has brought you here, to he brought you here today to hear that if you're wanting to place your faith in Christ today, just know that your faith is a gift from God that is placed in your heart, not by your efforts, but by the very hand of God himself. It is not on you. Amen. And if you are a believer, if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, this is also good news for you too. Because if you're sitting here and you're feeling like your faith is weak, your faith is evaporating, your faith honestly doesn't amount to much. It is rather immeasurable then you need to know that your faith was never yours to begin with, but was a gift from God unto you. And if he has the power to implant that faith in your heart, he has the power to sustain it. Why? 
because it is a gift. Just think for a second. What kind of person gives a gift to you? Or who do you give gifts to? Do you do it to the annoying person next door? Do you do it with that honestly annoying like neighbor you have? Like, do you give gifts to people you hate? Do you give gifts to people that are indifferent to you? Maybe you're just nice, right? But like often that's not the rule. No, you give gifts to people you love. And Jesus has given this gift of faith to us because he loves us. Not because of your works, not because of your efforts, not because of the amount of faith you may or may not have today, but because of his goodness. And if he loves us and is good to us, then we know then that the power that, that, that implanted that faith in us is for us and not against us. You see, looking at Hebrews 11 verse one and thinking, see, this is the tempting, the tempting thing to do. You read verse 11, one and think, we were meant to put all that effort and trust on ourselves that we have to focus all our efforts on maintaining this impossible level of faith and it becomes torture. It's why deconstruction is so common today. Because you need to take away these things to make faith easier because you think you're the one that has to carry the weight. But Ephesians 2 says, it helps us see that we were never meant to trust ourselves and our efforts alone, but instead to place our faith completely on Christ and Christ alone. You see, faith, faith is only as powerful as the object of one's faith. I'm gonna repeat that for y'all. Faith is only as powerful, not as your belief, but as the one that you place your belief and faith in. Because our faith accomplishes nothing if the object of our faith is anything less than 100% reliable. You see, when every day, I'm married, by the way, I'm married, I'm every day I'm married, because I made a promise and Rachel made a promise. When we wake up in the morning, if there's, all, if there's 100% security at all in our relationship, it's in that I'm not 100% going to do everything I said I'm gonna do. Like that's 100% true. Like, like there is, she can bank on that, that I will not do everything that I said I would do. I don't know where I was going with that. I just thought you should know that. I felt like it was the Lord and it was not, it wasn't. And so I apologize. But back to my point, our faith accomplishes nothing if the object of our faith is anything less than 100% reliable. This is why you stick to notes, you know? But you might be thinking, wait, that's, listen, that's all good and dandy that he can come through on, on his end. But I, I cannot come through on my end. But remember, faith in God is begun by God and is placed in God to secure you all that is God. Know your place in this chain. You are not the beginning, the planter, the grower. You're the recipient. So if you're here today and you feel like your faith is weak, amen. Your weak faith has access to the same strong God because of Christ. 
And if you're here today and you feel like your faith is strong, amen, glad. Your strong faith comes from the very hands of Christ in order for you to have access to the strong and reliable God. It is not for your arrogance and for your boastfulness. It's actually arrogant even when you're weak because you think that somehow it is your inability to have faith that somehow keeps God from you. That's arrogant. But if we know that God loves us, gives us the faith, gives a faith to us, and by his power saves us through faith, then what it leads us to is to finally trust him. So what then is faith? Faith is a gift of God that allows us to look at God and trust him for anything and everything. It's being able to look to the future and trusting that God will come through because faith is not simply a belief, but is also trust in our God. But it doesn't just stop there. Because while faith is trusting God for everything, faith also calls us, calls us into action. Let's look at verse 10 again of Ephesians chapter two. For we are, we are his workmanship. In the Greek, that's the word is poemia, means masterpiece. Again, shows you how much he loves us. For we are his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, before the very foundations of earth ever existed, God had a plan to give you faith in order for you to walk in the good works he made specifically for you. Have you ever thought about your faith like that? Like that God would give you faith in order for you to be carriers of goodness. Did y'all know that? Because if you haven't, man, this is a time to change that thought. This is a time to change your worldview because you're robbing yourself of what you've always been created for to be carriers and harbingers of goodness. Because so many Christians view faith as their get out of jail card or as I like to say, get out of hell card. And while Jesus does, yes, in fact, save us from hell, Yes, he does save us from eternity away from him. We were saved for more than that because the faith that God has deposited into you and into me cannot be relegated to simply getting us out of hell, but it is designed to provide us the truth of who God is in order for you and I to storm the very gates of hell. It's not for us to just get out of it. It's for us to push and dispel the kingdom of darkness. So listen, college students, if you're going onto your college campuses, young professionals, wherever job you might be, whether it's Disney or the bank, or wherever it is that you might be going, whether it's even driving through traffic, whether it's the homes you live in, wherever you go, you are in fact confronting the kingdom of darkness and you are proclaiming to everyone who would hear by the grace of God and by the faith that he's put into you, that God is calling them out of darkness into the excellencies of his marvelous light. It is not for us to get out of hell, but to storm the gates of hell for those who are lost, broken, and weary. But in order for us to do that well, our faith must not, maybe, it must be tied to something or someone that is strong enough to fuel our faith. 
Let's turn for the last passage of tonight, John 15. This will be the last major portion of, of the message for tonight. It's the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just in case you need to know. Up to this point, we've learned that faith is begun by God, deposited into your hearts by God, by his power, so that we would carry out the good works that he has made for us. We're on the same page, yeah? Cool. And as you hear that, it's really easy for, you, for us to assume then, when we say we were gonna rely on God, that we have no, we do not partake in the growth of our faith. But let's, let's read what John 15 says. Let's read one through five again. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. This is Jesus. I am the, Jesus, I am the true vine and my father, Father God, is the vine dresser, the one who cares for the vine and branches. <clears throat> every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Verse four, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse five, I am the vine, Jesus says again. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. So Jesus here describes himself as the true vine. God, the father, is the vine dresser, the one who cares for the vine. And who are you in this scenario? You are the branches. We are the branches. Dun, 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 dun. I don't know why I thought that's in my head. We are farmers. We're not the farmers. We are the branches. There's moments like this where I'm like, man, who let me speak? Anyway, uh, Jesus... Jesus is the one who lets me speak. Jesus continues to state in this passage over and over that he is the branch and that the branch cannot bear fruit on its own unless, what? Unless they're in the vine. You see, Christ is in fact in charge of growing our faith. He says it again. Look at verse four. Just read it one more time. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch, you all cannot bear fruit by yourselves unless you abide in the vine. That is me, Jesus. And neither can you unless you abide in me. See, as followers and disciples of Jesus, we need to remember and understand that we cannot bear and grow the fruit of faith on our own. We must be connected to the divine that is Jesus. And Jesus here is not asking us or throwing out a potential question like, I have a good idea. No, this is not a request. This is a command. Because what he's requiring from us is our obedience. See, I want to, before I continue, and because I, Honestly, as I was writing this message, I knew this was needed, but I was like, I don't know where to put this. So this is gonna be in this part, but I'm, I wanna give you some practical ways that abiding in Jesus, what it can look like 
especially for those of you who are leaving and not gonna be part of a local body, those who may be going away for college, but maybe if not, you're here for the first time or just figuring out this, this, this Christian thing, you're figuring out how do I follow Jesus. Here's some practical ways for you to do this. The very first suggestion and is get plugged into a local church. Right? If you're, if you're going to go away, get plugged into a local church. Because listen, I love college campus organizations. I was saved in one in InterVarsity. But there, there's InterVarsity, there's Crew, there's RUF, there's Navigators. There's, there's so many out there, Christian organizations. But, and they're really all awesome places, but they're not the local church. And, and plug yourself into this local church and start serving in it. Find older men and find older women who will help teach you how to trust and obey Jesus through different life stages. Join a community group, a Bible study or discipleship group. Let the people of God help you see the face of God. That is what it's meant for. And then here's another suggestion for you that I thought in the beginning was quite silly, but realizing that I need to do that in my own life. Um, Schedule your time with God designate time for God. Put it in your calendar. Literally, open up your Google calendar, your calendar app, whatever it might be, Android or iPhone, whoever you are. Go on and put in an hour each day spending time with Jesus because it will train your heart and your mind to remember how important it is to meet with him because we make time for the things that we love. So give yourself time to meet with Jesus so that he can pour his love into you so that you may enjoy abiding in him, okay? So if you, if you want to grow your faith, going to segue back in here, he is calling us to obedience. We must obey God's call for us to abide in Christ. So here are a couple of questions that we're gonna answer together, okay? Some diagnostic questions. Is the growth of our faith dependent on Jesus? Yes, thank you, okay. Are we called to participate in that growth through our trust and obedience? Yes. Does the power of God empower us to live a life of trust and obedience? Yes. It does. So what are disciples of Jesus free now to do? To trust and obey Jesus. I'm gonna ask you tonight, before I ask you if you have that kind of faith, but let me ask you a different question. Does your life demonstrate faith through active obedience? Or, what, or is it that when you open up God's word, you're like, I don't like this verse today, I'm going to this one. Or you know what, that doesn't make a lot of sense and I don't know if God would say something like that because he's a God of love, so he wouldn't require that of me. Do you find yourself changing really the words of God to make following God a little easier? Does your life since becoming a believer look any different because of your faith in Jesus? Because listen, obedience is not our number one attribute. All right, I don't know about you. I mean, I was a good kid, but I was a good kid about not getting caught, but I was disobedient all the time. Obedience is not what comes naturally to me and I would imagine it doesn't come naturally to you as well because actually the very word obedience may make you feel uncomfortable because what obedience ultimately requires is a denial of your own will for the sake of the will of another. And the major reason why it's hard for us to be obedient to anyone, including God, is because we are convinced that being obedient to someone else will always lead to our detriment. 
But Jesus here is saying, in being obedient to him, we will grow. We will bear fruit and carry out what we were created to do. This is not a removal, y'all. This is a necessary addition to our lives. More than that, Jesus is not telling us to do something that is arbitrary and cold. I remember when I was in college, I played D3 soccer. Not that impressive, don't worry. But I played soccer in college. And I remember any time we messed up a drill or didn't win a game, which was often. The next morning at 6 a.m. when we got onto the, onto the field, coach blew the whistle. Sprint. You ladies are gonna sprint. That's all I remember. That's right. That's right, Chubby. That's what he'd call me. Come on, Chubby, you're gonna sprint, boy. You're, you're not gonna be the, the last one to that ball ever again. And I remember being so mad. And I grew to hate that whistle. I grew to hate everything that was on that field. I grew to hate soccer in so many ways. I grew to hate my coach in other greater ways. But I hated it because I knew that I ultimately it meant I was gonna vomit that morning. But Jesus is not like that. His call for us to be obedient to him and to walk in obedience is an invitation not to do more good works or to try and do more spiritual disciplines, but it is an invitation to meet with him. Jesus says this again in verse four, abide in me. And that's it, right? No, no, no. Abide in me and I in you. He is offering intimacy and relationship for you to be with him as he is with you. And that's ultimately what grows our faith. The growth of our faith is not predicated on the amount of pages of scripture that we read on a given day or the amount of hours we spend praying or the amount of food that we say no to, but it is predicated on the time we spend abiding in Jesus in obedience because it is in relationship with Jesus where Jesus reveals to you who he really is. And you might think this means that you don't have to pray or read the Bible. No, that's not what I'm saying. What it means is that Bible reading, prayer, meditation, fasting, and all the spiritual disciplines don't exist as a boring spiritual to-do list. No, it is Christ's constant invitation and gift to you to not be mindless tasks, but entryways to meet with the one who loves you. And another reason why Jesus is calling us to abide in him and for him to abide in us it's because he knows that the hardships of life will seek to hide the face of Christ and to cause us to shy away from our faith. I don't know how many of you come in here with huge gaping wounds in your heart and your soul. I don't know how many of you have come in here broken and weary. I don't know your stories but Christ does. In fact, as, we're, as I'm writing this message and as we speak, there are thousands and thousands of Christian brothers and sisters in Afghanistan suffering both internally and out because they knew, they knew that becoming a disciple of Jesus would mean that they would be enemies of the state. Now, they may not have known that the Taliban would eventually seize control and go from door to door and end their lives and rape their women. But yet, 
with the information that we know, they are still calling upon the name of the Lord. They're not renouncing their faith, their faith because their faith is tethered, anchored, and found in Christ alone, the one who loves them. And if you are here tonight and you feel like maybe, okay, sure, I might not be as bad as those believers in Afghanistan, but you feel like you are suffering, I need to let you know that Jesus does love you. And he is calling you to abide in him so that you will see the face of the one who died on your behalf. See, it is tempting in seasons of suffering to turn away from Jesus. And not, I'm not saying that you have to like it. Okay, I'm not saying that you should enjoy suffering. I'm not saying that, that you should be happy about it. What I'm saying is that suffering offers us a chance to cling to Jesus in ways that we cannot do when we are in comfort. Because suffering can drive us to the Lord and see him and his love in ways that we do not see when we are doing well. And we're able to see his faithfulness in ways more clearly and more beautiful and ultimately grows our faith. You see, when I think about the heroes of the faith, going back to Hebrews 11, you may find it interesting that we don't, oh, it's a piece of paper. We don't find Jesus in it. Nor do you find Jesus in that chapter. You would think the, the, the God of all creation, the beginning, the Alpha, the Omega, he'd be the, the top, the first one, the first one on the list, the heroes of faith. But it's because his name comes up in chapter 12. Let's just go there really quickly. Hebrews 12. Just look at verse two. The author of Hebrews is saying to, looking to Jesus, and this is who he is, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So it says here, Jesus is the one who brings about our faith. He is the one who perfects it. In other words, he carries the purpose of our faith to completion. And as I think about the life of Jesus, and when I think about the heroes of the faith, and when I think knowing that Jesus is the pinnacle of a life of faith, I can only imagine him as he sits in the garden of Gethsemane. He is a couple of hours away from being arrested and taken to be crucified. But in this prayer to, to the Father, Jesus is sitting in the garden in anguish and cries out to the Father. He says, if you could take this cup of wrath from me, please let it pass. Lord, if your will can be accomplished in any other way, please let it be done. And there wasn't another way. Jesus knew the good works that were set out before him. And then it says here, he did it with joy. That Jesus went to the cross with joy. How? How do you go to your impending doom in joy? It's because Jesus trusted and had faith in the Father. He knew the Father was good. And he knew he placed his faith on one that was worthy of all trust. 
He plays his complete faith into the father's hands, not for himself, but he did it so that our faith would find its end in Christ alone, that he would be able to abide in us and he and we in him. So if you want to know how to grow your faith, here it is. Remember that that faith is a gift that beckons you to come to the gift giver that is Jesus. Go to him. He is calling to you. And ask him to reveal himself to you so that your heart may finally know its rest. Let him show you what a life of faith is and return, take your life and make it a life of trust and obedience. I'm just gonna finish this with a simple phrase, stanza, something called a doxology. It's a hymn of praise and worship that's been in the church for centuries. And I'll finish with this tonight. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen, 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 and amen. Let's pray. Thank you much, Father, so, so much for your mercy and your kindness. I'm thankful that my faith is not in my hands, at least not alone. I'm glad that my, that my faith is well-placed in you. You have proven yourself to be faithful. You've proven to, sh- to, to us that you will go, there's, there's no lengths that you will not go for our salvation. Lord, I pray for those of us in this room tonight whose faith is weaning and waning. I pray that you will bolster their faith. May we all, Lord, abide in the vine that is Jesus. May it not just be an empty phrase that we repeat to sound more holy, but we may take it upon not just the words on our lips, but may those words be imprinted on our heart. We need you. Lord, I confess with all that I am that I need you. And I would imagine that we in this place need you too, wherever we may be. I thank you. I love you. And I need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use this message you just received and direct your heart completely towards Him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.